Beatrice Spills the Beans on Codependency is a codependency recovery, emotional awareness, and exploration podcast. B is a mom, social worker, and recovering codependent, creating a space for like-minded people who have similar experiences to help empower and cheer each other on. Join B on her journey with emotional exploration. Hey friends, it's nice to have another month with you. I am so excited to be here and I can't wait to get into, actually, let's be honest here. I am doing today's episode on anxiety and I'm having quite a bit of anxiety about talking to you guys about anxiety. And I think that's because anxiety is a hard one to explain to people because It's something that is different for everyone and it comes out in different ways. And so I don't want to put an episode out there and then people think that's not what anxiety is at all or they feel different because my description of anxiety doesn't match what they experience or... I don't know. I think anxiety is a pretty personal one. So I think there's just a lot of anxiety about sharing about my experience with anxiety. And so I just want to put it out there as a reminder that I can only be the expert in my experiences and not that I ever want to be an expert, but I can only speak about my experiences. I can't speak for everyone else. And This podcast is a platform for me to share my experiences so that maybe there are people who can relate or gain something, but I am no way saying I'm an expert in any of these topics. It's just my experience and my, the things I've picked up and learned about these topics along the way. I guess if this episode resonates with you at all, it might be good to do some research and look into anxiety on your own. And if you know that you struggle with anxiety and this episode doesn't relate to you at all, just understand that anxiety presents differently for everyone. Just because you don't relate to what I share doesn't mean that you don't have anxiety and I'm not discrediting that for you. All right. So still a little nervous but I'm just going to jump right in. So let's get started. The definition of anxiety is a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic. Like I said, everyone's anxiety is different and presents different symptoms, But I am going to list some of the physical symptoms of anxiety according to the Mayo Clinic. Some symptoms include restlessness, nervousness, feeling tense, a sense of doom, increased heart rate, rapid breathing, sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired, trouble concentrating, trouble sleeping or fatigue, gastrointestinal issues, difficult controlling worry, urge to avoid things, and irritability. And then some physiological symptoms of anxiety includes feeling disconnected from the world, worrying about future events, 
uncontrollable worries, overthinking, second-guessing, worrying about past events, disqualifying the positive, all-or-nothing thinking, thinking I can't relax, what-if thinking, catastrophizing, why can't I sleep, wanting reassurance. For me personally, looking back at this list, I experience restlessness, nervousness. I feel really tense in my neck and my shoulders when I'm experiencing anxiety. I do have increased heart rate and I have trouble concentrating and sometimes I have trouble sleeping. And I definitely have difficulty controlling worry. And physiological symptoms that I can relate to are feeling disconnected from the world, worrying about future events or uncontrollable worries. I overthink. I second guess. I worry about past events and I have all or nothing thinking and I catastrophize. So for me, I've struggled with anxiety a lot for as long as I could remember. But I never knew that I had anxiety until maybe two or three years ago. I think when I got in a relationship with my husband, so it would have been five years ago, I think we both learned that we have anxiety around the same time. But we are really open about our issues and our experiences and talking those experiences through. I think we both realized that we had anxiety and... My anxiety really was bad after I had my son. The catastrophizing was a lot worse. I always was worried that when I was with my son in the car that we would get in a car accident and something would happen. When my son was two months old, we went to the mountains nearby and my husband was driving and I was having severe anxiety about the safety of being in the car on mountain roads But at that time, I could name it and I knew what it was. Growing up, when I experienced anxiety and irritability, I had no idea. I didn't have a name for it. And the more I learn about anxiety, the more I recognize it in other people, especially I see it a lot with my dad. My mom is like a more mellow person, but my dad will get super irritable And he'll just be very hard to deal with. And now that I have learned about anxiety, I recognize a lot of times he's nervous about something or something's coming up that's a big deal. And so he he like takes it out on us with irritability because he's anxious and he has that anxious feeling. I think I noticed that with my dad because that is a trait I have myself. I remember... After I had my son, I would have to go to school for a Saturday and Sunday. So I did mostly online schooling my last two years in college. And it was mostly online, but we'd have to spend two weekends a semester spending 16 hours on campus at school. And I was still breastfeeding my son and I had a hard time leaving him. Just the stress of being a new mom and leaving my baby and The first two weekends that I left my son, I got in huge fights with my husband the night before I had to go to school. And I realized, I think I said it, or maybe my mother-in-law pointed it out, but somehow I realized that I was so anxious about having to leave my son that I was like getting arguments and 
acting erratically, irritable, and irrationally acting out towards my husband because I wasn't dealing with my anxiety. My anxiety and learning about my anxiety and being able to name it anxiety, it's interesting. Being able to name it anxiety and understand it and have a relationship with it has honestly helped my anxiety. But that doesn't mean that I was free of anxiety and panic attacks and things like that because last year when I got sick in October, I was having a ton of anxiety and panic attacks. So speaking of panic attacks, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that. So sudden episodes of intense anxiety are called panic attacks. Panic attacks usually last up to 30 minutes and some symptoms of panic attacks include trembling, heart palpitations, sweating, hyperventilating, nausea, upset stomach, fear of dying, crying, and chills and hot flashes. Panic attacks detach you from reality. I didn't realize that I had ever had experiences with panic attacks until in October of last year. I was hooked up to the monitors in the ER because I was having physical and mental health issues. And the doctor pulled my shirt up to touch my back because I was worried about issues with my kidneys. And he didn't tell me he was going to do that. And I have triggers of my sexual abuse as a kid that instantly after he touched me, I started crying and they had me hooked up to the monitors and my heart rate went up to like 190 and my blood pressure got really high and I was hyperventilating and they put it on paper that I had a panic attack and that was the reason that I was in the hospital, which was really frustrating because it didn't deal with what was really going on with me because I didn't have the panic attack until I was triggered and that's not why I went into the hospital. So I didn't get the issue I was there for resolved and I had to go back. But also seeing that on paper that I had a panic attack and just having that experience in a hospital setting with a monitor on me so I could see what it was doing to my heart rate and my blood pressure and then the nurse having to talk me down and tell me to do deep breathing techniques and to help me work through that. It really helped me understand what a panic attack was and it put a name to it. And so I thought back to my experiences in the past. And I remember as a little girl when my dad would be really angry or he would spank one of us or spank one of my brothers and I was really empathetic. So I would have panic attack when he would spank my brothers. And half the time it was my fault because I told on them because I didn't realize that they were going to get their butt beat for it. And it's really weird. I remember a couple times my brother who was in trouble, he would get in trouble and I would try to stop him from getting in trouble. And he didn't want me to get hurt. So he would pull me in the bathroom. And my dad was always like, if I started hyperventilating and crying, he would go off even more and tell us that he'll give me something to cry about. So my brother protecting me would pull me into the bathroom and have me take a drink of water and hold my breath and then breathe out and breathe in deep, breathe out, take a drink of water. And he would 
talk me down through my panic attacks. And I remember that really vividly because it was like a heightened sense of fear because my dad was on a rampage and someone had just gotten spanked or him threatening to spank me as well because I'm crying and my brother protecting me in that way and helping me and taking my anxiety and my panic seriously. And then there was a couple other times in my life that I've had panic attacks and my panic attacks look like falling on the floor and crying and not being able to breathe and it looks like I'm throwing a temper tantrum, but it's legitimately a panic attack. And I recognize that because in the hospital when I had one, it helped me to understand what a panic attack looks like. And the last panic attack I had, my husband witnessed, probably the first one he witnessed, but I asked him today when I was prepping for this podcast, I said, what did it look like that time that I fell on the floor and I was crying at my aunt's house. And he was like, it looked like you were attention seeking and it looked like you were throwing a fit. And I was like, okay. And I don't take that personally because from the outside, it probably does look like that because it's something that triggers me. And in that instance, I was yelled at by someone that I don't normally get yelled at by. And I... I'm really sensitive to getting yelled at because of my childhood and it instantly brings a sense of fear and doom to me even if the person that is yelling isn't going to hurt me. I was in a vulnerable place already because I was really sick and this was during my mental health crisis but also being yelled at by someone that I usually feel safe around and don't expect to be yelled at by it just sent me into a frenzy. And so I experienced a panic attack, which looked like attention-seeking and throwing a fit, at least to my husband, and I'm sure that's how it looked to other people around. But now that I had that experience of having the panic attack at the hospital and being able to correlate it and the emotions I'm feeling and the physical symptoms I'm feeling in that moment... I'm able to put a name to it. And for me, that's what a panic attack looks like. One good way to manage panic attacks is something I learned about called the RAIN method. RAIN stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and non-identification. Recognize means to recognize what's going on and take a moment to recognize triggers and emotions and name them. So for example, my experience when I had the panic attack at the, the emergency room Recognizing what was going on was that I was feeling violated, scared, and angry because the doctor touched me without telling me what was going to happen in an area that I was feeling pain. A, allow, so allowing those emotions. So now that I've named them, I allow those emotions, thoughts, and sensations, and I feel it all. So I let myself feel the anger and the violation and the fear and the sense of being scared and the unknown. And I let my body feel it and I embrace it and I don't try to push it away. I don't try to put it in a box. I don't try to tell myself I'm being irrational. I just let myself sit in the feelings. And then third, investigate why you got triggered and our experience, the emotions. So that 
investigation would lead me to understand that I'm dealing with a physical issue that is directly correlated with areas of my body that I've been violated. And so I'm already feeling sensitive to that. And then being touched without that warning and being on high alert because I'm already physically not feeling well, it directly correlates to triggering my past experiences with my sexual abuse and having a hard time with male authoritative figures and being in that environment and feeling very vulnerable. It was a perfect setup to be triggered by my sexual abuse. And that is the reason that I'm feeling those emotions. N equals non-identification, which is recognizing you are not your thoughts and emotions. So I spent the first three steps recognizing, allowing, and investigating my emotions and feeling my emotions and letting my emotions have a place. And the last one, I recognize that I am not my emotions, that I can have all of those feelings, but I'm not my emotions and my emotions don't run my life and kind of just grounding myself back to earth and to the present that yes I have these emotions these emotions are part of me and they also can pass through me and they don't dictate my life and that's a huge part of detaching a little bit from the emotions and understanding that I can feel my feelings without having to live my feelings Like I said, panic attacks detach you from reality, and the RAIN method helps to bring you back to reality. Any mindfulness practice can help with anxiety or panic attacks. Let's talk about risk factors of anxiety. The number one risk factor I find that correlates with everything we talk about, trauma. Trauma creates so many risk factors, which if you've ever heard of ACEs, look it up. If you have a lot of ACEs, which are childhood traumas, it lists the different traumas that can happen. And learning about ACEs and how they affect you is really a good step to knowing how to handle your trauma and what your trauma exposes you to. The first risk factor of anxiety is trauma. The second is stress due to illness. The third is stress buildup or stressful life situations. The fourth is personality type. The fifth is mental health disorders. The sixth is genetics, blood relatives that have anxiety. And then the seventh is drugs or alcohol. Now that we know all about anxiety and what anxiety can look like for me, my experiences with anxiety, and maybe it can give you a little insight of what anxiety looks like for you. The biggest thing I can say is knowing what anxiety is and how it looks for me and being able to put a name to it has been really freeing to me and helps me understand my triggers to anxiety. When I've noticed that when I go to big family gatherings, I experience a lot of anxiety leading up to it. And then usually a little bit at the events. I'm always afraid of conflict occurring. I get anxiety before I have big meetings at work, when I take tests in college, anytime I have to do a presentation. I even get anxiety before I go to a social outing with a group of moms 
in my mom's club or just any type of event, even taking my son to play group and meeting with people I meet with every week. Sometimes I have a little anxiety before I go. I always, always have anxiety before I go into a patient's home because I've had negative experiences, because I've walked in and seen someone unconscious and I never know if I'm going to walk into that. So I experience that anxiety and I have to deal with my anxiety on a daily level and recognize that it's not okay to take it out on my husband. It's not okay to be irritable and take it out on my family. It's not okay to not name it, not understand it, and to let it affect my daily life. I mean, I could, but for me, it's not okay. I want to be someone who is a partner with my anxiety, understands that it's necessary. I mean, anxiety has helped people to sense fear and get away from danger in our past, like when we were cavemen and stuff, you know? So anxiety is not a terrible thing, but living with anxiety, you have to learn how to work with it and to be friends with it and to not put it in a box, but recognize how you can work with it. And my biggest way of dealing with my anxiety is doing daily yoga. I feel such a difference when I do my daily yoga because it's meditation mixed with yoga. I'm moving my body. I'm being in the present. I'm feeling my feelings. I'm getting on the mat and I'm being in that moment. Sometimes things come up that I'm anxious about and I'm able to say, you know what, take a deep breath focus on this yoga pose and I just let my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings that are racing run through me. I get that monkey mind to calm down a little and I live in the present. I tell myself my mantras. I get up off that mat. I feel like I've done some exercise for my body. I've moved my muscles. I've challenged myself a little. I feel good about myself. My self-esteem is raised a little. I spent that time meditating doing my mantras, and I feel centered and grounded and balanced. And yoga has changed my life. It gives me all of these different types of mindfulness in one practice. And so that's one way that I deal with my anxiety. I notice that some days I do my yoga like after I work, and I wished that I would have done it in the morning because it really can set my whole day. And I know that if I'm bickering and being crabby that I probably should have done my yoga before I opened my mouth. Like that's just how it is. Another thing for me personally is 12 step meetings. They really help me get centered and get out of my mind and to know that I'm not the only one experiencing what I'm experiencing. But let's talk about ways to manage anxiety besides what I do. So like I said, yoga is one, meditation, a healthy diet, limiting caffeine, abstaining from drugs and alcohol, and of course, medication. I can personally say that I was so against medication for such a long time. And I know a lot of people that have a hard time with medications. They think that it's just a band-aid and that there's other ways to fix things. But I can personally say as someone who does take medications, and maybe I won't be on them my whole life, but right now they're necessary for me, I would not be able to get through my mental health issues and get to the foundation of where I'm at now without those medications. Like I would 
personally not be able to help manage those emotions and manage my anxiety without it. And someone explained to me once, I think it was my therapist, that you don't tell someone with hypothyroidism that they shouldn't take medication or someone that has diabetes that they shouldn't take their insulin because it's just a Band-Aid. When you have anxiety or depression or anything that deals with your mental health, it's a chemical imbalance. And sometimes you can't fix it with diet and exercise and mindfulness and meditation. Those things all help and they can get you back to baseline and they can help extremely with the process. But sometimes people's chemical imbalance is so off that it's necessary to have the medication to balance it so that you can be at a baseline to work on those things. Because sometimes when you're living in extreme anxiety all the time and you're not working on it, you're not, and your chemicals are so out of whack and out of balance, you're not able to even get to the point where you can function to get back to baseline. So sometimes medication can help for short term where it can get you to baseline so that you can work on that skill set and go off the medication and learn how to counteract that all the time. And sometimes you need the medication for a long period of time and it's necessary for you to be able to be at baseline to function and that's okay. You know, it's a personal thing. I'm not here to push medication, but I am here to say that as someone who feared it, it changed my life. And I don't think that it's necessarily healthy to just completely write it off. I think that it's always good to think about the pros and cons of things and sometimes trying it, even if you're a little resistant, you might surprise yourself. But like I said, it's a disorder. It is something that is physically and physiologically wrong. It can be fixed with medication. Just like with hypothyroidism, they give you hormones to help balance you out. This is giving you serotonin or dopamine or whatever inhibitors, if that's the right word, giving you those to help balance you out. And a lot of times people drink or use substances to try to self-medicate because they have a lack of dopamine or serotonin. And to me, as someone who has experienced self-medicating, I definitely think that it's worth self-medicating with a medication that has been tested and proven and with the work of a psychiatrist who can help explain what the medications do and exactly what the medications are doing in your brain than using substances or recreational drugs and alcohol to counteract that or to self-medicate and not being balanced because it's really not the same. So if you suffer with substance abuse or alcoholism, it might be something to think about there's a good chance that you're self-medicating and trying to help your your sense of being or balance out your chemicals. And it just doesn't work the same as medication that's made specifically for that. So that's my little rant on that. And 
I know that everyone has their own free will and they should do what's best for them. But I just think that if you do have issues with medications, maybe think about where those issues stem from and why you have those issues. And, you know, just if those issues are worth not getting help. So anyways, thank you for listening today. And if you liked anything or you resonated with anything I spoke about, I would love for you to write a review on Apple Podcast, or you can send me a DM at Beatrice Spills the on Instagram, or you can find me at Beatrice Spills the Beans on Facebook, or you could email me at codependency at Beatrice Spills the Beans.com. I would love to hear from you. And like I said, if you really resonate and love this podcast, I would love a review on Apple Podcast. And I don't have any book recommendations this week. I've never read a book on anxiety. Doesn't mean I shouldn't. Maybe I should check it out. But I just renewed my 12 months with Audible and I am super excited. And maybe I'll find a great book on anxiety to listen to. But our friends over at Audible can offer you one month free with a credit for one free book if you sign up today. If you are interested in taking advantage of that offer, check out audibletrial.com slash beans with a capital B. Again, that's audibletrial.com beans with a capital B. All right, friends, the light in me recognizes the light in you. And remember, awareness sparks growth, my friends. I look forward to seeing you next month. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Love you all. (music) 